Heads up everyone, today's episode is going to be talking about things like anxiety and depression, which may affect you when listening. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast, the official podcast of the United Grand Lodge of England as ever. It's a pleasure to be with you and today I'm joined by James Dalton and Stephen unfortunately can't be with us today but he sends his best regards and it's gutted he can't be with us today because we do have a really fascinating guest on don't we james we do and i think this is a topic which is particularly close to stephen's heart as well given that we covered it sort of in the last series yes Um, we did cover it didn't we really we we have on today chris jones who is a lincolnshire freemason uh, and was featured in the winter 2023 edition of freemasonry today as he is doing a walk around the coast of the uk to raise money for the mcf following his own mental health concerns in recent years um, and having used the MCF's counselling service. And so he's going to be on the show today to talk to us about his journey, uh, both with his mental health and his physical journey on the walk. I think it's worth saying at this point as well, um, there are several topics included in the conversation with Chris which are difficult and do refer to um, topics such as suicide and depression. So... If any of those topics are triggering to you, you may wish to turn off before we start. Yeah. With that in mind, shall we get into it? Yes, let's do it. So, Chris, welcome to Craftcast. It's great to have you on the show. Um, let's start at the very beginning of, of the, your journey that you had and kind of what led you into this work you've been doing to raise funds for the MCF with the but could you take us right back to the very beginning and, and, and what led you down that road? Yeah, of course. Um, it was certainly not a plan. I hadn't planned to do anything like this. I, um, I kind of realised in my 40s, my mental health went awry. I had a very busy, busy business. Um, it was, I had a, a training centre, which became an independent school, teaching young people that were thrown out of school. Mm. Uh, so it was very full on. I did it for about 20 years. All sorts of strange things were happening with it. Policy change, government, local and national and I, I kind of, I felt that I, I couldn't deal with the things that they were imposing upon me and I had to get out. So I didn't know at the time, I've only been able to work this out in my walk, how that affected my mental health over a long period of time. So probably over about 10 years. Mm. Um, I sold the business, got it out. Um, we sold the house at the same time. Me and the wife were just going to, because we were in the business together, we were just going to have some time out, have a couple of years traveling around in a motorhome. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. So we literally, at the end of 19, that was, we'd sold the house, we were in a motorhome living in it. Um, did a little bit of travelling over Christmas, came home, and then COVID hit. So we got stuck in a field about a mile from where our house used to be. And I spent a, a year, basically, in, in the motorhome. The wife was looking after my grandchildren, which was her. That was what she was going to do when we sold the business anyway. I was always going to go back to work doing something, but I didn't know what. Um, and I just, over that year, I just completely unravelled. I, I completely fell apart. My, um, I, I had all the time in the world to do anything I wanted to do, but I just lost my purpose. I lost my identity. Uh, from having 40-odd staff, 120 kids, of course, all Freemasonry stopped at the time as well then yep. during them first lockdowns, um, and I just lost it. I, I just completely melted, um, and it got to the to such a point where, and I guess there was nobody I could talk to really about it either, and I'm not even sure that if I had somebody to talk to, I could have and would have because I didn't know what was going on. Um, considering where I'd been through the 10 years where I knew my mental health was falling apart a little bit, 
this was at another level. This was just really, really to the point where I literally was walking around the woods with my dog, just looking at the trees, thinking, yeah, I think that probably that branch could probably do it. And I was that bad, you know. But because I, there was nowhere I can go with it, I couldn't do anything about it. And it was, it was a bit strange because it, it came and went. Um, the weather was beautiful, I remember, at the time, so I was doing a lot of walking, a lot of exercise, doing all the things that I thought I could do to help myself. But just not having it, it just wouldn't work. Um, so anyway, we, it went on. Beyond that, we, we ended up coming back into a property. Um, so we, we kind of settled again, if you like, which I didn't really want to do. I wanted to have a bit of freedom and travel around a bit. And then the world got going again. Um, and then I found that I tried to get back into a few businesses and do various things. And nothing was gelling. I just couldn't find a purpose in any of it. I just, I, I guess my business was, it was very personal. And what I was doing with the young people, I had a real, I don't know, so there was a massive desire for what I was doing. I, I just didn't want to go back to laying bricks and building houses for people or, or anything like that. And I, so I, I, I kind of went downhill again. Right. And it was one day I just happened. I went through, a, the wife said to me one day, she came home and she just said, you've got to sort this out. So I got in touch with the NHS. I started a uh, counselling programme didn't really work they were they were massively under pressure and I think I can remember a couple of times where I was going to have a, a counseling session the following day and I got a text saying that the lady was ill would have to uh. postpone it a week you know so it kind of went like that and quite by accident I'm secretary in my lodge I was doing some work um, looking at Grand Lodge uh, the the website mm. and I just saw the box and it just said mental health helpline so I got the number rang it up I think 15 20 minutes later I got a phone call from somebody from Grand Lodge to kind of put me through a bit of vetting mm. And then about 45 minutes later, a lady phoned me from, it was a counselling company, I don't know the name of the company or anything like that, and we went, we started a process and it was just incredible. It was all of the help I wish I'd have got so much earlier than that. I wouldn't have gone anywhere near the place I ended up, the bad place I ended up in my yeah. head. Um, so I think it lasted about eight weeks, the, the programme. She was sending me things at the same time as, you know, when we were talking probably every two or three days to start with, and then it started spreading out. And I, I kind of equate it now to, she helped me put a toolbox together. So when I could feel myself going back in them, that, you know, that dark place, I kind of had the resources and the ability to think about the various things that she put in place for me or helped me put in place mm. to help myself, basically. And it, it was great. I had a year or so. It was absolutely brilliant. And then it just, it was not this last Christmas, but the Christmas before. It was just leading up to that. I felt myself slipping again. I couldn't get back into work again. I just didn't know what to do. I'd built an extension for somebody locally. Hated every minute of it. Mm. Um, and I felt myself slipping and, and one day I saw on Facebook there was a chap, an ex-paratrooper that was walking around the coast and he was taking six years to do it so he'd been going a long time he set off from Swansea and right. he just wandering about basically and <clears throat> finding himself he'd lost his mental health a little bit as well with the process he'd gone through in life and I just I wondered could I do something like that so of course the hardest thing for about a month was working out how I'd ask Michelle if he asked permission from the wife if I could do it <laughs> and then I just one day I just said you know I'm going for a war club I'll see you in 18 months and, and that's <laughs> what, uh, pretty much what happened <laughs> and of course she thought I was running away from everything and it was divorce and it was all doom and gloom but you know I, I, I don't know it's bizarre isn't it how do you set about doing something like that I don't, I, you know I was in the army but I wasn't in the SAS you know I'm not yeah. Bear grills. Mm -hmm. um but yeah, so anyway, we, we kind of got our heads around what it could be. Didn't do any planning, just planned what kit I needed. I've kind of figured if the sea was on my right, kind of I wasn't going wrong, was I? Yeah. I got up one morning and the sea was on my left, I was walking the wrong way. So yeah. <laughs> sim simple as that. And eventually I'd get all the way around and get back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much where it, why it started and where it started. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're a year in now. Wow. You, you said a moment ago, because we, we've talked about mental health yes, quite a have. lot yep. in a previous episodes of, mm -hmm. of the yeah. show. Um, and you referenced earlier that you'd kind of felt yourself slipping for maybe a decade or so beforehand. Mm. And 
think men have that pride, don't they? Of going, oh, I'll be fine. Yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah. Did you ever feel an, a desire at those points to to seek sort of assistance or help, or, or, or do you think pride can play a big part in just sort of trying to get through it? I'll be okay. You know. Yeah. I, I did. I went to the doctor once. Um, I can't remember exactly what part it was in, in, within that 10-year period. But I went to my local GP and he just said, oh, okay, you need some tablets for that. You, you're, you're depressed. Mm. And I remember walking out the door and saying, no, thanks. I don't want any tablets. But for the simple reason, I can remember in my mind, the only reason I didn't want to take tablets for it, having your own business, I was constantly filling out forms for all sorts of things, for insurances. And, and as soon as you go through those tick boxes... And, and you, you say you've got heart disease or whatever all these things might be. And as soon as you mention you've got some kind of mental problem, it opens up Pandora's box. And that was the thing I was always trying to avoid. Yeah. It wasn't that I was embarrassed to to even admit that I had a problem. No. But again, I also thought it was probably just stages we go through in life. I just kind of thought it was just something that was happening at that time with the business. I was very, very a lot of, under a lot of pressure. And maybe something had kicked off with one of the kids was fighting or somebody brought a knife in or whatever. You know, there was lots of stressful things happening. And I was dealing with it all in... I guess the wrong way, in my mind at the time, it was the right way. I was doing a lot of exercise, so I'd get up in the morning and run five miles, but then I'd go to the pub every night. Yeah. So, I, so I kind of there was a, I thought I was balancing it, yeah. and I was getting through it that way. What I wasn't doing was thinking about the things, the way I was living my life, which now I understand after the books I've read and the, the time I've had to think about all this. Mm. We need to be thinking more about how we live our life on a long-term yeah. process and, and, and looking after ourselves on a long-term process rather than just them short-term fixes. You talked about how you called the the MCF counselling mm-hmm. number. You'd seen that on the on the on the yeah. website. I think there are still a lot of people out there that don't know that exists. Yeah, and that that's available to to Freemasons and their families. Did did that help you with some of what you just said there about kind of assessing your life and taking a longer term view? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we've I don't know if we're equipped properly with the tools, are we? I don't know. It's, it's just as people, not necessarily as men no, or I women. Don't think so. I don't think you know. We don't learn these things as we grow up as children, no. do we? And it's something I'm very focused on. I want to do next. I want to being in education for twenty years. I just want to work with somebody and people to try and work out how we help our kids. I've got grandchildren, and I talk to my ten-year-old granddaughter all the time about this. And they are doing things in in schools now about opening up and discussing stuff like this. But I don't think we're equipped for it, are we? No. We don't know how to deal with it. And, and certainly, like you said, it's this, is it a bit of macho bravado? Is it, well, we just expected to get on with it as blokes, I think. It's the way it's always been, isn't it? Get on with it. Yeah, I, I, I almost think, I mean, I know when we did our episode uh, earlier on, and I remember the one word and when we were getting emails from people and we'd get people come up and speak to us about it, it was great. And I think the one word that was consistent throughout all of them was um, stigma. You know, and the and the the, the because I, I think it, to pick up on your point around are we built to equip? No, but at the same time, you know, actually a lot of that behaviour is learnt behaviour. I think, of course. So our our reaction to those perfectly natural feelings that most of us will get at some point, be it anxiety, be it feeling low, depression. Our, our reactions to that are defined by the society around us. I think, and 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 by you know, and people who are perfectly well intentioned, parents family whatever it is who have just grown up in a generation where it wasn't seen in the same way as oh i've hurt my arm i've injured my arm i need to go to the i need to go to the doctor yeah it not being treated on an equal plane as i'm feeling really anxious and i'm struggling to cope with this pull yourself together it's not important Mm -hmm. no and and i think what what, the strides that we've made in recent years is the the equivocation of the two 
you know, looking yeah. after the mental health as well as the physical health and giving the two equal attention, yeah. which is which is so important. And I think something that I that really interesting that you that you that you mentioned was um, the providing providing you with that toolbox, mm. you know, giving you the 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 foundations that if it happens again, which it may do. Um, you have the processes built in, and you know how to deal with it. That, yeah. That's that's that was really interesting to me. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, it's uh, can we make ourselves more equipped? Can we make ourselves better equipped to deal with these things when they come around? I, I think for me as well, I didn't not speak about it um, for any other reason than I didn't know how to explain how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. I just I was going through all sorts of strange things, and you know, I'd come back from a meeting, a very positive meeting to do with the business or whatever. And I remember driving and just bursting into tears. Mm. and having to pull the car over and thinking you know what the hell was that all about mm. um, and then get back to work and you're back on it Better go to the pub later and sort that out work, try and work out what that was all about but I never spoke about it because I didn't get it yeah. and I didn't even actually realise that that was my mental health causing that problem yeah. and that's a bit weird isn't it just to start crying for no reason I mean we get like that as we get older I mean I'm yeah. 53 now and I'm, I'm, I can watch an advert on the telly <laughs> and start crying <laughs> <laughs> and I think afterwards well, what's that all about you know, yeah. I've become an emotional wreck as I've got older. Oh, well. But yeah. that's something about getting older. Yeah. Mm. Not knowing how to talk about it or, yeah. you know, how to explain how you feel. So the walk that you're doing, Chris, mm. is in aid of the MCF. It is. It never meant to be. Mm. I just wanted to go away and try and sort myself out and walk mm. by the sea every day and kind of get stop the world. I'm just getting off for a bit. That's what I, was, I thought I was trying to do. And then, of course, talking to the Freemasons, it became... <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd say a circus, but, <laughs> yeah, oh, why don't you stop in lodges and why don't you meet... Yeah, oh, yeah, all right then. And then yeah. somebody said, oh, why don't you raise some money? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And actually, I'm so glad that those things were said mm. and it's become something much more because it's some days when I just think, oh, do you know what, I could just go out and have had enough of this, you know, when I've had four days of it chucking down my rain and oh, I've been gosh, in a tent. Yeah. I just what am I doing? And I'm, I'm past this in my life. I don't need to be doing this. But because of all of that, that other pressure, and it, well, it's not pressure, but I'm doing it for a purpose now. So it does kind yep. of spur you on a little bit. So I'm so glad it's, it's, it was done like that. So what sort of distances have you covered? What sort of places have you been to? Any interesting anecdotes and stories from your time out on the road? Yeah, it's, it's immense, to be honest with you. I mean, every single day, you know, I can wake up in a tent at, you know, when the birds wake me up, whatever time that might be, and I've got all day long to do nothing but wander around meeting people um, until I get back in my tent again that night. It's incredible. I've met so many... Something that's really... It comes out I, uh, something about you when your mental health starts falling apart you i can remember kind of taking on the world's problems for some reason in my head you know see things mm. on the news constantly and the doom and gloom of the world and it's really weird that you kind of take all that in yourself when you've got nothing to think about all day long but walk around you can shed all of that and get rid of it. i haven't seen any news i don't see any tv which is brilliant you can completely clear your mind of that but kind of led to believe that the world's full of really horrible people but it really isn't. The no. I've never met any animosity from anybody, even wearing free, you know, Masonic things as I'm walking around. Yeah. There's been no animosity. It's more that people want to be generous and, and offer me a bed or offer me a meal. or mm. you know, it's, it, the, the generosity of people, very often from people that haven't got anything to give, mm. is quite incredible, and that's been overwhelming for me. Mm. I love visiting lodges. I, just, I, love, I love that in my own province and going around visiting other lodges where I can go in there. I don't know anybody. I love doing that. I've visited 45 lodges now, meetings. Wow. Been to 150 different lodge buildings. Wow. Blimey. And that reception has been incredible. Brilliant. Every, the Freemasons just kind of want to be part of the story, which is lovely. You know, yeah. I'm so appreciative of that. And what you guys have done, putting it in the magazine, it's helped me no end for this, this second half of the journey. Oh, good. I've had lots of emails of offering me a bed here and oh, brilliant. come and see us in our lodge, here, you know, all over the place, all the way around that next part. Mm. So I've still got, I think I've walked 3,000, just under 3,000 miles. I've got as far as North Wales, 
Wow. So I've probably got three and a half thousand still to do. We said it was seven when we started, but I got run over in in, in the west coast of, um, got run over by a French motorhome on the west coast of Scotland, walking up the locks. Oh my there's, there's no footpaths, so you're literally on the road. Um, wow. So you just have to walk all the way around the lock, and it can take you four days to walk around some of them locks. And it was the first one I did, and some motorhome hit me from behind and splattered me. It didn't oh hurt goodness. me. But, uh, but it, was, it was amazing. The police pulled up <laughs> because they were in the, in the queue behind the motorhome, and it's, the copper had seen what had happened, obviously, the policeman, Scottish policeman. And I, I'd got myself to my feet, and the motorhome had pulled in, but the guy had got out and just fixed his mirror. So he was just going to sort his mirror out, and he was going to leg it. No. So, of course, I'm pacing up the street, and yeah. the, the policeman wound his window down, and he said, don't you be thinking what you're going to do, what I think you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. So anyway, the policeman put his blues on and give the French driver a right good telling off. Didn't right. do any paperwork. There was no need. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hurt. But I kind of thought, I'm not walking up all these locks. So I went down the islands. So I, I bounced down Sky and Aaron and Mull. Um, so I came more south. So we think we've probably knocked off 500 miles off the journey. So wow. instead of it's 7,000, it might only be 6,500, but we'll find that out when I get around. Mm. Brilliant. Um, but the lodge meetings have been incredible. Uh, I kind of always get asked last minute, tap on the shoulder, as you both know, can you respond on behalf yes. of visitors? Oh, but when, oh, the, when they've given me a donation, yeah. that's, yeah, of course I will. That's absolutely fine. I've paid for my meal. And it's incredible the amount of times when I just talk that little bit about mental health, how the stories start feeding out. There was a lodge in Scarborough where I, I didn't notice while I was talking. I sat down and I looked around and thought that there was a lot of watery eyes. I didn't realise that they'd initiated two young men just before Christmas. One of them, the son of a mason, had hung himself, 20 years old, because I was the only one in the room that didn't know that. So the DC actually said, you know, don't worry about it, you weren't to know. Yeah. Of course, it was so raw in that building. He'd hung himself in his garage three three weeks after his initiation. But it, and, and of course, I've seen that time and again as I've been going around and heard these stories. It's everywhere, but nobody really talks about it. You know, Nobody wants to talk about that horror, the horrific side of it. Yeah. And all these poor families that are having to live with it. So that's really poignant to me, as well as of, you know, although there's been lots of fun stuff, you know, the amount of pubs I've been in, I've, been, I've had so much stick for this being the longest pub crawl in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you get to a little village and you that's, don't know anybody. That's the, so. real, the real aim, is just the world's <laughs> longest pub crawl. Yeah, 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 it wasn't the intention, but of course, when you turn up in a village and you don't know anybody, and I see a pub, I'll just go in there. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and I've walked 15, 20 miles, I need a pint. So, and, and that's where you find out the best intel. So I've met some amazing people in the pubs. You've yeah. had, you've had a lot of good Masonic interaction, but I, I'm mm. guessing as well you've met a lot of non-Masons Indeed. on this journey as well. How have you found those conversations when you've kind of, you're sat here now with an MCF um, vest on? Yeah. How do you find the public reacts to introducing Masonry into that conversation? Yeah, a lot of nice stories from a lot of people whose fathers were, mm. grandfathers were. Only the people that, I guess, are Masons now. Uh, I get a lot of people that they are Freemasons now and they'll come and shake my hand um, but you, I get from, from ladies especially how my father was and never never know what's been going on they never, don't, don't know anything about it but they always knew it was a good thing Yeah, that, that's lovely I'm really proud to talk about the MCF about the money that it gives away because if I'm honest with you before I started the walk I really didn't understand what mm. the MCF did I've learnt about that obviously as I've been walking and reading and I'm so proud to talk about that. And, um, you know, as soon as people, you start talking about it being the second biggest giver to charity in the National Lottery, you know, you see people's eyes opening up because if Freemasons don't know, well, the rest of the world doesn't know, does it? No, no. Um, that's, that's an incredible thing I've found. Um, and I, I thought I was going to get a load of, I was told I was going to get a load of stick on the west coast of Scotland wearing Freemasonry stuff because, of course, up there it's very, I would say, religious. But there's, there's that um, mm. Catholic-Protestant thing up in Scotland and I didn't get any. I was I was quite surprised. I thought right. I was going to get a lot of trouble on the West Coast because I was told I was going to get mm. but nothing at all. 
So nothing but good, positive stuff. You know. Good. Listen, good. You still get the comments that the, you know we're trying to take the world over, aren't we? And you know we, <laughs> we run all of the governments around the world. You get all this nonsense still. Of course, it's, it's quite nice to put that straight as well, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. I, I think what you're doing shows a positive face about the reality of Freemasonry, actually, to to people. So this is actually what we're about when we talk about integrity, respect, friendship, service. Indeed, these are the values that we're living. This is why I'm doing this. Yeah, this is what's important. Yeah, I mean, my, my misconception of it before I joined 12 years ago was it was just very wealthy, older men. That's, mm. that's all I thought. I just never thought I'd fit into that. Um, so that was my misconception. Yeah. And that's always there as well now, isn't it? Everybody still, not everybody, but a lot of people still have that misconception about what we're about. I wouldn't like to say that I was a young man doing it, but, mm. but you know, we've got more and more of that. And obviously, Chris, you're a Lincolnshire Freemason, right? That's correct, yes. And I understand you've had a ton of support from the province, haven't you, helping you just plan things Stuart Piercy you know I know as, as comms officer has, has played a big part in a lot of that and yeah see Dave Wheeler PGM as well so so that must have been very useful having that anchor knowing that actually everyone's rooting for you at home as well 100% because we of course we didn't know how that would work either we didn't know really, when I when I set off I, we, I, I kind of got on quite quick because it was in the winter yeah. so it was cold and horrible so I was getting lots of miles in and yeah. so I'd actually almost got through Yorkshire before anybody realized I was there <laughs> so and the, it was but it was like you say what happens was the Stuart Piercy would call ahead to his equivalent his PCO in whichever province I was getting into yes. and then David Wheeler would speak to the PGM yeah. just to say you've got this numpty walking through your around your <laughs> coastline if anybody sees him can you give him the thumbs up a little bit like that yeah um, and that's worked amazingly well you know incredibly well I've heard I heard I think Paul O'Doherty got a call is the PCO in Durham yes got the call from Stuart and I think he owns his own taxi firm so they were able to help you yeah, incredible. with a yeah. bed or something in a car somewhere else it's, it, it's just a fantastic story yeah, yeah I walked across a bridge and I got it was across a bridge into Durham and of course that process had happened yes and I'd had a very scary moment near red car where I, I i genuinely think i was going to get mugged i was walking along a road oh, and, yeah. yeah there was somebody on the, it was four lanes of traffic and he was he was kind of mirroring me with his hood up and i couldn't work it out and then he crossed the road to be in front of me and i genuinely thought i'd be mugged so i was quite anxious i crossed yeah. the road and then a van pulled up and he got in it and as they pulled away they were all looking at me so i got my phone out as if i was you know taking photos of oh them. that is scary i yeah. genuinely thought that was anyway I'd, I'd got into middlesbrough in the dark and middlesbrough's a nice place if you've ever been I'm not sure you want to want to walk around in the dark, but, uh, <laughs> and I didn't. Uh, but the very next day, I crossed the bridge into Durham, and a car screamed up to a halt, and a bloke got out and came running at me, frightening the life out of me. He was the PGM. He came ah, running up, and gave me Thompson. a huge big yeah, ah, John gave me a, a huge hug. That sounds like John. He that just sounds like frightened the living daylights out of me. I thought, here we go, I'm going to get mugged. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but what a team they were! They were just probably the first ones that really embraced what I was doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and it kind of. It kind of catapulted on then because, of course, those provinces were all friendly with each other, our neighbouring yeah, provinces. But this competition isn't there, so yeah. that, that was lovely. That was incredible. And yeah. then I guess sort of fast forward to December two thousand twenty-three. Yeah, you came down to Grand Lodge to attend the quarterly communication meeting. I did. And um, for those of you that have read the uh, the program master's remarks at the meeting, we've seen that you were personally named. By the program master, which is a very rare <laughs> honour. I mean, that must have meant a lot. It, it really did. It genuinely did. I mean, we weren't sure. I was supposed to be on the walk, and I wasn't yes. because we we come down from Lincolnshire. There's a, a load of us that come down every every December for QC meeting, yeah. and we have a bit of a Christmas party, if I'm honest. We have yeah. a bit of a knees up. It's a lovely day out. And I was going to miss it this year because I was going to be walking. Sure. I've been having this problem with my foot. I was, the pain was getting worse and worse and worse. So I nipped home in December and had an x-ray. 
and it showed something. So I, I had to have an MRI, and oh, it showed no. I've got a hairline crack in my heel bone. Ouch. So I was not going back. So basically, I was here for the QC meeting, obviously, as you know. But mm. yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that at all. And we kind of thought if I came down, we weren't trying to raise money. We were just no, trying no. to raise awareness, you know. Um, and that's certainly what it did. And, and of course, him saying what he said, the amount of people now that have been messaging me, mm. texting me, saying when you get to Brighton or get to wherever, Devon, come and see us. We'll look after you. So I've got a lot of support off the back of that. So I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah, incredibly grateful. Brilliant. And how much have you raised so far, Chris? Do you know? Yeah, just under 35,000 now. So Ooh, the, amazing. Yeah, which is incredible. And, th- and that comes from a lot of the going to the meetings. So they'll yeah. have a raffle and then they'll give me the donation sure. of the raffle, sure. which is lovely. But again, just people I bump into on the, on the street, you know, they, they see it on my shirt. I've got a thing on the back of my rucksack with a QR code. Brilliant. Um, which I didn't even know what was what QR code was until I started doing this. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what blogs were. Didn't, didn't know what podcasts were. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and if someone listening would like to donate, how would they go about doing that? Okay, so the provincial website for Lincolnshire, mm-hmm. um, we have a link, direct link on there. Okay, um, brilliant. On the usual social media things, Facebook and all of that sort of stuff, I've got my, uh, there's a link on there. Generally, it's all about this link now, isn't it? So it's done, yes. through, it's done through a gift app which comes direct right. to the MCF. So once okay. the money goes in, it comes straight into the MCF coffers, which is great. Great. And when this episode's released, we will post something out on New Jelly social yeah. media channels as well. So Fantastic. hopefully some people will get through uh, that way. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us. It's been an honour. It's been a pleasure. It's been lovely to see how it all happens. <laughs> Under- underwhelming, isn't it? I've listened to all the podcasts, quite <laughs> some of them a few times, because they are very yeah. informative and, oh, inter- and, and interesting. You know, and now yeah. you know the reality. Yeah, how exactly. It's made. Seeing how your food's made, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're stuck in this box all day long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Fair play to you. You're doing a great job. It is very oh, interesting thank you. to it's listen very to. very kind. Well, no, and thank you for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, that, that was an amazing conversation with somebody who I think is doing an incredible amount of work to selflessly raise money for the MCF while supporting their own mental health. I mean, I, I, I could have spoken to him for, for hours, I think. Yeah, and I, I think you can tell, you know, I mean, the, the, the fact that he's so open about it and the fact that, you know, he's willing to use his own experiences to help others is a testament to the, to the man that Chris is. Mm. I've sort of been aware of Chris's story for some time and obviously, as he mentioned, we, Marta covered it in, uh, in the late edition of FMT, and quite rightly so. And if you haven't read his interview in, in Freemasonry today, I would very much encourage you to do so because it goes into a few areas that we didn't cover in, in this. So, so do go and do go and have a read. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you speak to people like that and it makes you reflect on so much, doesn't it? And, mm. and actually, if anyone has been listening to that and feels like they can help Chris, you know, do get in touch with him, do offer him some support whatever that may be, go and walk a leg with him, keep him company. We've already been invited, haven't we, James? And I'm we sure have. Stephen will be up for it. Yeah. And Marta, the four of us, have been invited on a to join Chris for a leg of his walk. I'll be up for it. As long as I don't have to sleep in a tent, because being six foot five, tents nah, aren't be fine. the most accessible things. <laughs> Unless it's some sort of Triwizard Tournament situation in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. It's like a four-bedroom detached house <laughs> in this like, small tent. That would be great. Um, but no, we're, we're actually really looking forward to uh, to, join, to to taking him up on that offer mm. and, and going and, uh, and, and joining him on a leg. And if you think you can offer him a bed or a lift for a leg of the journey or... Ten pounds, five pounds. Appreciate, you know, times are tough, but anything that you can spare, I'm sure, would be greatly appreciated by, yeah. by Chris. Absolutely, and and he he made a point of saying to us, um, sort of off mic at the end, 
how surprised he is at how many people that are Freemasons mm. don't know about the MCF's counselling support phone number. Mm. Um, so just like we did in season one, at the end of this episode, we're going to have some phone numbers after the credits that you can contact if you feel you need support. And the first one on that list will be for the Masonic Charitable Foundation. So if you think that would be useful for you or someone you know, mm. stay until after the credits and we will provide that information. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just as I said, I think I said it and when we did our episode, you know, the calls are confidential and you need, you know, feel free to open up and be as honest as you like when you're having those conversations because that is, as Chris touched on, that is the start of the road to feeling better and yeah. recovery. So and please do use the services because they are there for you. James, should we do a few emails that we've received from listeners? Yeah, something we haven't done for a little while, actually. No, it's not that they've dried up, they've been coming in. It's just, I think, where the episodes have been a bit longer recently, we just haven't been as astute at doing them. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I've got an email here from brother Mark Lust from Woolmer Forest Lodge 3873 in the province of Hampshire and Isle of Wight. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. Dear Craftcast team, I hope this email finds you well. I'm an avid listener and of Craftcast, and thoroughly enjoy the content you provide about Freemasonry. I am writing to suggest a potential episode topic that I believe would interest both new and seasoned members of the craft, Lodges of Instruction. These sessions play a crucial role in the development of Freemasons, providing a platform for ritual practice and rehearsals, mentorship, education, and camaraderie. My own lodge holds a weekly Lodge of Instruction meeting with brethren from across the province attending. Additionally, we put on a festival where new and younger masons from a variety of lodges take the office for a demonstration of the ceremony of initiation. I love that idea. Very nice. I would love to hear Craftcast attending a lodge of instruction, invitation, <laughs> engaging with the brethren beforehand and discussing the unique aspects that make these events so valuable. This episode could shed a light on the informal yet important aspects of Freemasonry. Thank you for considering my suggestion. Best regards, Mark. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. I have to say, I since I since I when I was a junior warden and now senior warden, lodge of instructions are invaluable. Yeah, they really are. Because if if there's been a couple of times where I've been unsure that I've got it and it it's stuck in my head, then you go in and you do it, and you're like, oh, I do know it. And actually, it's also that that feeling when it all goes really well, or you you know you can support someone else who might be struggling a bit with, you know, with a particular piece of work. Yeah, it's very useful, but I love that idea. And if you would like us to come to your Lodge of Instruction, send us an email. Invite us. We will be there. Sean, what do you have? I have an email from uh, Sebastian and Arlo the Hearing Dog. Mm. Mm. It says, good afternoon, brethren. How are you all today? Good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. I have an idea that might make for an interesting podcast for for the Craftcast audience. Sebastian says, I am I'm profoundly deaf and a great deal of adjustments are invested to allow my initiation, passing and raising to take place, and also for my exaltation into the Royal Arch. Being deaf and a sign language user who relies on lip reading in the absence of a British sign language interpreter, I'm confident that it will come as no surprise to you that several adjustments will be required. In addition, as a Freemason with an assistance dog, permitting him into meetings is worthy of interest in itself. I look forward to hearing back from you. Until soon, sincerely and fraternally, Sebastian and Arlo the Hearing Dog. Now, can I just say, uh, Sebastian, thank you very much for getting in touch with us and a big shout out to Arlo. Uh, um, I'm sure we'd all quite like to meet Arlo. 
good boy. Absolutely. And it's it's fascinating that you have you've mentioned this because this is something that we're really keen to, to have an episode on, mm. um, inclusivity and Freemasonry. And you may well have noticed um, in the latest edition of uh, Freemasonry today and going forward in future editions, we are going to have subjects constantly being brought up about uh, inclusivity and Freemasonry, people with, with disabilities um, and how actually Freemasonry has been able to adapt ceremonies to allow people to take part as as we've heard from um, from Sebastian. So, yeah, keep a lookout for a number of those features uh, yeah. coming your way in FMT. And and absolutely, we, we'd love to, to hear from Sebastian. And as I say, meet Arlo the Hearing Dog. I really want to meet Arlo. So let's do that. Um, I've got another one, James. Yep. Uh, good morning, brethren. Um, this chap's name is Paul Thompson. Paul is currently the secretary and almoner of his Hertfordshire Lodge, King Henry VIII Lodge, number 1757. I'm so pleased to see the subject of prostate cancer uh, under the spotlight. That's obviously, James, in reference to our interview with Frank, Frank yeah. Tiller uh, a little while ago, which I th- we've had a lot of reaction to, actually. Uh, over the last seven years, five of the members of his lodge have been found to be suffering with, as he calls it, this silent killer, him included. Uh, treatment has been a broad spectrum of things, ranging from total removal to active surveillance. We have tried to raise the profile over the years with our, with our Almana report, always asking brethren to get checked. On a couple of occasions, we've been in touch with a communications officer to find a way to get a word out, and, a, and Paul's relieved that it finally has. Um, he's so pleased to see this now in print. It will save lives. Over the past few years, he's had one person reach out to him that got checked after one of his meetings, and he was found to be in the early stages of prostate cancer. Well done to all concerned for continuing to beat this drum. Sincerely and fraternally, Paul Thompson. So oh, there we go. It's, it's, it's such a powerful thing, isn't it? Because I think sometimes you take for granted the opportunity that we have to sit here and be part of this programme. Mm. Um, but actually, if the act of us recording that show enabled just one person who wouldn't have done so to go and get checked and then be discovered that they'd had uh, an, an, issue, alarming result. an alarming yeah. result or an issue... Um, and that subsequently goes on to save their life. Oh, then <laughs> it, 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 it makes everything worthwhile. <laughs> the whole show yeah, is absolutely. immediately worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and so it's such an important subject, and to see it having an impact on the ground is so rewarding. And but it only works if all the listeners and all the Freemasons across UGLE share that word. It's a very much a word of mouth thing. So to go and get checked. Yeah, go and get checked. And PSA readings done could save your life. I think that's it for today, isn't it? I think it is. So, as always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter or X at UGLE underscore Grand Lodge. You can email us podcast at UGLE.org.uk. We're on Facebook and Instagram at United Grand Lodge of England. We will see you very, very soon. So, from me and me, goodbye. Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. The podcast is hosted by Sean Butler, Stephen Watley, and James Dalton. The producer is Marta Zandri, and the podcast is edited by Trisonic. If you or anyone you know has been affected by any of the themes raised in this episode of Craftcast, you can contact the Masonic Charitable Foundation on 0800 035 1690 or email help at mcf.org.uk. You can also contact Mind at 0300 123 3393 
or visit mind.org.uk. Samaritans are available on 116 123 and you can text SHOUT to 85258.